So everybody always comes in and they say, wow, your showroom's really rustic, but you're not really the modern guy. Well, that's not true. It's just all of our modern, modern mountain pieces go out so quick that we can't keep an inventory of it in here. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I've got Paul Shepard today as our guest on Friends Build Magazine. He started a company called Forge Elegance in Bend, Oregon, out of his passion for handmade unique items driven by creativity. Paul explored different elements using chemical reactions and heat and expanded his knowledge and love for the trade. So that's how we started. And now you're into vintage barn wood. So this ought to be a pretty interesting uh, story. I love reclaimed lumber. I love, I love repurposing stuff. How long have you been doing this? Uh, three, four years as Forged Elegance. And then prior to that, I did a lot of custom pieces for PacWest Homes. You know, clients yeah. asked me to build stuff for them. Do you know that uh, Build Magazine started with Jim Yozamp of PacWest Homes? I did, actually, yes. Yep. Been uh, doing Jim's work for roughly 20 years now. I own uh, Shepherd Heating and Air Conditioning, so we... We had a heating air conditioning company, and then they asked me to build a couple of copper kitchen range hoods, and those uh, came out just amazing, and we just kept exploring it. So I think I built that like seven to ten years ago for them, and then we kept going from there and fell into a couple other things about four years ago. We started this magazine in 2016. Jim had built a house for us in Broken Top about ten years earlier, and it was such an easy, painless process with PacWest. They did a fantastic job. And Jim and I, to this day, and his wife, Christy, are great friends. They do, they do awesome work. Yeah, so I worked with them for 20 years now. They hire great subs. They build a great house. And, you know, it's just one of those teams that you want to be a part of, from Ty Fonsworth to everybody. They're just great to work with. So love working for them. So how did you transition? I was going to ask you, because your website is Shep HVAC. And so... Well, I have... I have. Well, no, when we were doing a little research, getting some background, we go, he's making custom furniture and he's got forged elegance. I don't understand the connection. <laughs> so I started, uh, you know, in 2006... With Shepherd Heating and Air Conditioning, I was a union sheet metal worker from 1986, so I've worked on some of the biggest projects in Oregon. I ran Intel for, I don't know, like three years, and so I've done every aspect of metal work that you can do. Served a five-year apprenticeship in the union, and then, you know, came over to Bend, went to Billings, Montana first, actually, 
for four years, came to Bend and started a heating and air conditioning company here. Did that. And, you know, in the shop, we loved to experiment around with metal, chemicals, heat, different things. So we did that for a long time in the evening times and different things. And then, like I said, I built some custom pieces for PacWest. And then in 19, when, you know, COVID hit, I was, I was, I just went to Prineville to look at a coffee table. A guy was selling it. He had some beautiful furniture and I bought all of it because their retailers were shut down. And I told my wife, I said, if we bring it back and I add forged steel to it, I think, you know, we could build a product that was unlike anything on the market. And so that's what we did. And then as we went, we just started our own wood shop and just we build everything from hand, you know, handcrafted stuff is all hand done. Uh, you know, a lot of forging companies and stuff, they have big pneumatic hammers or they'll buy it out. We hammer out everything sort of the old school way. And, you know, so we started doing that. And then, you know, we had one of the brokers come to us and he had a cool barn. I remember it was, it was a 800 year old growth redwood. Wow. It was a water water tower on the Umqua and the Archie fire went through and burnt the cedar roof off the top and left the water tower untouched. So I remember going out there and he had the whole water tower and my wife's like, why don't you just start with like $5,000 worth of it? And I said, yeah, I, I really want the whole thing. She's like, yeah, I don't think you should spend all that. You know, you don't have any sales. So I took 15 minutes. I called a few clients. Before you know it, I had about 15 grand in sales and I bought the whole water tower. So so that's sort of how I got started in the historical barnwood or, you know, really unique barnwood. And then once the brokers sort of learned that I would buy, spend large amounts of money, if they could prove the history and that it was a really cool story, then I would, you know, I'd fork up to 100 hundred two hundred thousand for a barn no way, you know really? so so the next oh yeah so the next barn was out of missouri and it was super cool so if you were a rich plantation owner in the civil war you could get somebody to go fight in place of your son you either had to give them 300 bucks which was like a million bucks okay. back then or you had to give them 20 20 acres of your plantation if they died they didn't get nothing and or the family so this guy lived, came back, got his 20 acres of the plantation, and built this massive barn in Missouri in 1865. And I thought it was such a cool story, I bought the barn. And the other really unique part of that story is it's bald cypress, and it's a really unique coloration, and it's not native to Oregon. So it's a barnwood that you just don't see here. So that was really unique. So, yeah, that's probably my most popular barn that we sell a lot of. Okay, so that's an awesome story. How do you relay that to the client? Because we all buy stories. I don't care what we're buying. And that's a cool one. Yeah, well, they, they have to be able to prove it to a, to a point, you know? I mean, so I want pictures of the barn. I want some, you know, history to it that, that can be proven. So otherwise, I won't just buy it. Otherwise, it's just regular old barnwood, right? So they got to be able to prove it and back it up a little bit, and then I'll buy it. This one, they had all the history to the barn, so that was really unique for us, and we were able to prove it. It's like the, the water tower. It fed 
steamboat in on the on the Umqua there. And, you know, Zane Gray's fished there, President Jimmy Carter fished there, things like that. So that was really easy to to prove that one also, you know. So you know, so anyway, they know that they have to bring me some great, you know, pictures, different things like that. And the really cool part about this is some of the barns actually have newspaper clippings and different things like that that were in the barn, and they'll bring me those artifacts too. So it sort of dates it, you know, to when it was. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so what do you make from that barn wood? And then what kind of reaction do you get from people when they buy it and you tell them those stories? Oh, they they love the history. So we'll get some people come in and they just want a statement piece, just console table. They'll, you know, we built some really cool vanity. Sometimes we'll combine the, the two barn, you know, a couple of different barns and, and make a really cool piece. We made um, a really neat vanity out of the bald cypress out of that barn. And then we have a barn that's a buffalo ranch out of Spray, Oregon that dates back 204 years. And it's still there. The same family still owns it, all that. So it's a dug fur and it's really thick. So we'll make the top of the vanity out of that and then use the bald cypress for the sides. We build everything. I, I think what I'm really known for is I make handcrafted forged steel mirrors and I'll put the siding from that bald cypress barn and inlay it inside of it. You know, those things sell, we sell those, oh shoot, we went to the Portland Sportsman Show and we sold 10 of them at the Sportsman Show. So very unique, wow. never seen anything like it. Something I created about three or four years ago. So yeah, really, really neat. And how much are those mirrors? 2,000 bucks. So. And you sold 10 of them? I've sold 20 this year so far. And when I run them. I'll, That's pretty good. Yeah, I'll do six at a time. And usually we'll sell out within two weeks. So right now I have four in the shop. I haven't really advertised them on social media or whatever. But um, yeah, we usually sell out of those. They're they're very very unique um, mirrors. They're nothing I've ever seen. So they cross over. They can go modern, modern mountain, rustic. I mean, they sort of fit in anybody's sort of desired house. You know. Okay, that was my question. It's funny. It's like you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, how does, because I'm on your website and a lot of the stuff is perfectly in line with the house that PacWest built us for us in 06. And yet today people are more modern or contemporary. You look at Tethero, which is a pretty modern golf course community. How have you been able to pivot so that your stuff is still desired in those homes? You know, it's, it's a really good question. We we build, like, we uh, another barn that we have in that's really, really cool. We have Astoria pylons, and very another really unique story is in, uh, oh, somewhere around 1850s, they installed all these pylons, and they built the town of Astoria on it. Yeah. 19 or 1883 I think it was uh the town burnt down and they rebuilt out there and then in 1922 it burnt down again they moved the town on shore built some canneries out there and stuff so you can still see these pylons out in Astoria and they reclaim them every couple years and they bring them out now the the wood that's from the the ocean bottom up 
is all rotten, so they'll cut that off. So it's really the wood that is down in the mud sill, and they'll pull that, and all those minerals have soaked into that wood, and it's just stunning. It's beautiful. And so... Really? Yeah. And so those go really in modern, modern mountain, and then we build modern steel legs for them, different things like that. So everybody always comes in and they say, wow, your showroom's really rustic, but you're not really the modern guy. Well, that's not true. It's just all of our modern, modern mountain pieces go out so quick that we can't keep an inventory of it in here. So we we cross over. We have wood that, you know, all of that wood, especially that 800-year-old growth of redwood, it crosses over to uh, modern stuff all the time. The Astoria pylons, beautiful wood. It crosses over to the modern stuff. So we, those two barns, we probably 90% of what we build out of those go modern for sure. Okay, so tell me a little bit more because I'm curious. I've seen the pylons in Astoria a thousand, well, not a thousand, but I bet you a hundred times. And they're soaked in creosote, I think, to keep them from falling apart. They look dilapidated at some point. I ha- I wasn't even thinking that the stuff in the mud might be preserved. How is that even possible? And how far down does it go? You know, I have, so, so I have tables that are 96 inches, so... 15, 20 feet into the ground at least. So pretty, pretty wow. long. And uh, it's all dug fir, which we have plenty of here. But it, it has this colorations of reds and yellows and blacks and grays and different things from all those minerals just from the 1850s just soaking into this wood. I think the modern stuff was probably soaked in creosote, but these weren't, they don't have a lot of creosote in them. And then they, they mill them in Astoria and send them, send them up to us, milled and everything. So they're just stunning wood. Probably the, the most gorgeous wood I have, to be honest, from a modern standpoint, you know, modern pieces. But you don't keep any inventory there because it sells too quickly. Well, no, we have... You should a, keep a few things. We have a showroom in Bend here, and it's by appointment. And I, I actually built a table out of it. I built it sort of an odd links so that I would have something. It was like a four foot by seven foot table. And it was sitting here and I had two interior designers come in last week and they're like, oh boy, we might have buyers for that table right away. So it is here and we do, we'll build pieces for clients that we end up storing until their house is finished being built. We do have some stuff in here, but yeah, right now we do for sure. So are you just in the Bend market or, or how much of your business is outside of Bend? So we ship to Arizona. We've shipped to Idaho. So we were in the Central Oregon Sportsman Show and we are in the Portland Sportsman Show. So the Portland market is pretty, pretty big for us. But we do ship everywhere next year, not this December, a year from December we will be in the Cowboy Christmas for 10 days in Las Vegas wow. for the NFR. So we'll be down there. So you know, we ship everywhere. That's a big That's a big show. It is a big show. Yeah. Yep. We'll be down there for, like I said, 10 days. So hopefully do really well. And uh, we have other local artists that work with us. Mark Mulebrook, he owns Red Miter Woodworking. You know, he's the best epoxy guy I've ever seen. We try to put out a couple pieces a year together, join, join forces as artists, and we put a beautiful curly maple live edge modern 
uh, table together. It just, I sent pictures of it, Ted, to five clients and one of them got nervous it was going to sell. She bought it before it was even finished. And that was, that's a pricey table. But, you know, I think that dining room table went for $10,000 and it was sold before we even got the last layer of epoxy in it, just off a few pictures. So, so yeah, we work with some great artists and just represent, you know, a lot of different people, you know. So it's not just about me. It's just the local community here, too. Well, what you're creating is you're creating a story and it'll speak to different people at different levels, no different than art. And the homes that you're yeah. doing work in, I, I look at some of the coolest things that I see in talking or or seeing these homes is the ironwork that can be done in in some of these homes and just the level of detail and passion that goes into it. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, we love it. And we work with, you know, other Forge guys. We're all friends. It's a it's a really tight-knit community, so we run things off each other all the time. Another really, really cool barn that we have in is uh, our million-mile railroad car flooring. It's oak. It's traveled a million miles across the United States. Really, really popular wood. Um, we built some fantastic pieces out of it. We do a lot of uh, theme pieces. So we had a a friend of one of Jim Yozamp's clients, they'd worked in the railroad industry, second generation, 75 years, and we built a railroad-themed piece for them, a fire fireplace, hand-forged fireplace front out of the railroad car flooring, just a console we shipped to Idaho. We get to learn so much about their industry and what they do, and we built it in 2022, and they sent us uh, date nails, and the railroad ties have a nail with a date on them, that so they know when to change out the railroad ties on on these. So they sent us 1922 railroad date nails, and we incorporated them in the piece. We welded them on every bolt that we put on the piece. The front of the fireplace door that holds the door shut, the latch has a nail on it that's dated 22. So we built a lot of pieces like that that are sort of themed to their industry, things like that. So it's really fun. Oh, that is an awesome story. And we build, you know, so like those people, I probably built five or 10 different pieces for them. So sometimes we'll build a single statement piece, just, you know, to a standalone piece that when you come in their house, they're like, wow, that's really unique. It uh, has a great story to it. Sometimes we'll build quite a few pieces. We'll build whole houses for people, you know. Yeah, it's really fun. We have a great time doing it. Okay, so I didn't like... You're telling me stories that I can only envision people like to have a nail from from railway ties that's 100 years old is a really cool story. So you must get people approaching you with reclaimed lumber, for lack of a better term, wood that's got cool stories from a variety of different applications. I mean, you told me about the barn, which I thought was super cool. And then the floors of the uh, rail cars, I think, is awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful wood. We built a lot of tables. Matter of fact, the table in my house is built out of that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, when you deal with these brokers, if you really think about it, the brokers will buy a barn, they'll bring it into their yard, and they'll piecemeal it out for 10 to 20 years. You know, I mean, people come in, they buy pieces of it, different things. What the brokers really like about me is, 
They come, they bring a cool barn, can prove the history. They know I'm willing to fork out a hundred grand for that barn if it's really cool and the wood's really nice, you know? Yeah. We have another one. We have another one right now. We bought a portion of it. We did not buy all of it, but it's a burnt ranch in Muller County here. It's a really cool story. And I don't, I, I don't have it in yet. It's coming in here in a couple of weeks, but. The Burnt Ranch is so historical to Oregon that Chief Ochico burnt down this, and it was a stagecoach stop is what it was. And then John Mueller, a bunch, you know, John Day, all these guys, you know, formed a, a party, a posse, whatever, and went after him. And they ended up finding a raiding party, but it wasn't him. Anyway, so it's got just great Oregon history to it, and it's sitting at the brokers right now. And we bought a portion of it, but we'll probably end up with the whole thing. You never know. Okay, so you've come a long way from your wife wanting you to spend $5,000 on on something to start this. <laughs> well, we don't tell her exactly how much when it's a larger barn. You know, we don't tell her the exact price. But, yes, she's gotten used to it because now we have such a following and such a clientele that everybody wants some of the history. They We've proven that we can take very rough barnwood and turn it into beautiful furniture, one-of-a-kind pieces. So, so yeah, I mean, when you get a barn like that in, you never know where people have ties to things, you know. It's like the Astoria wood. A lot of people have ties to Astoria, whether they've had a house down there or they grew up there or whatever. I, I had a banker that was in uh, Pronghorn. He's building a house in Pronghorn. The first bank he managed was in Astoria. You know, and this is a very successful banker and he's retired now. But the minute he came in and heard the story of the Astoria Wood, he's like, our dining room table is going to be out of that Astoria Wood. It means something to me. So so we run into that a lot, you know. Okay. What about covered bridges? Have you ever had the opportunity to, to buy a covered bridge? Because they're very popular in Oregon. I don't know if they ever fall down or if they're ever taken down, but that would be another cool thing to grab. The, the one right now that we're interested in is actually a, uh, you know, it, must, it, it was obviously the federal government back, you know, in the 1800s, 1900, early 1900s. They cut down a lot of redwood from, you know, the redwoods. And so right now they're reclaiming a tunnel in Oregon, which is, uh, again, 800, 1200-year-old growth redwood that line the inside of the tunnel. So I have not come across a covered bridge, but the wood from the tunnel is, looks pretty, pretty amazing to me. So, and great history there too. Okay, so hold on. So are you talking about a tunnel through a redwood tree or a tunnel through the mountain that they lined with it? And why would they line, line it with redwood? I, I have no idea why they line. Well, I mean, the federal government used it a lot. So um, redwood's really dense, even though it's a softer wood. It's really, really dense. So they lined, to my understanding, is a railroad car tunnel through a mountain. And they're reclaiming all the wood out of that and rebuilding it, at, building it now. So, yeah, so a lot of redwood coming out of that. I've never seen one, and I drive a lot. I've never seen one with, with wood as a lining for a tunnel. It was a railroad car, like I said, so it's not a driving one. But, yeah, I've never seen one either. But I got a couple pieces of the wood out of it, and it's pretty amazing. And really, 
really thick, you know, redwood beams, different things like that. So pr- pretty neat wood. Gorgeous when it's finished, by the way. So do you still have the HVAC company or is this taking over your, you know, your company and your time? Well, I did HVAC for 39, 40 years, and I have the younger generation. I've had long-term employees with me. One of them is actually purchasing it from me this year. So we're in that transition out of HVAC and just doing uh, forged elegance moving forward. So I figured for the next 10, 15 years, I get to do what I want to do now, right? This gets your creative side going. It does. And it's fun. And people are always asking me where, you know, you come up with the ideas and stuff. And I just have endless ideas. And, you know, we strive. We have, oh, I don't know. We probably have five employees that work with us now full time here at different stages, whether sanding, cutting steel, different things like that. We Everybody always asks me, is this your best piece? And every year we strive to do bigger and better, you know, and and so forth and so on. So I haven't built my best piece yet. My next piece is always my best piece, you know. I built some pretty incredible stuff. And even, you know, I look back four years ago, Ted, and I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, it's really good. But compared to what we build now, our, our stuff is amazing now, you know, and it's just yeah. every year it gets better and better. Yeah, well, you're that's spoken by a truly creative person because every creative person, I always go, so what's your best design? What's your best, best architecture? I don't know. I haven't built it yet. Yep, we got some great ideas. I think this year, oh, I, I, I got another great story for you. I have a, a Sigma Turner foosball table. It was manufactured in 1965 in West Germany. And foosball was invented in Germany. And so... It was in the King's Wild on Powell Boulevard in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And my dad my dad used to uh, shoot pool there, league pool there, when he was younger. And he bought the foosball table in 1967, the year I was born. So we've had it 56 years. So last year, I tore it down. I rebuilt it. And I kept the base to it the same and then built around it because it had all the stamps in there from 1965 and West Germany and all that. And uh, we built this beautiful piece. We made hand handmade grips for it, handmade numbers for it. It's an amazing piece. And restored that this year, took it to the shows. And we've, we've been offered good offers on it, you know, really good offers. We've, we've also had people want to buy it and I've already built, you know, a large amount of furniture for him. I'm like, it's it's a white oak. It doesn't really go with the furniture you have. And they're like, well, we really want it. And I'm like, let me build you one that matches your existing furniture. This is sort of too far off the, you know, realm of what you got. So we have that in a really unique piece. is one of a kind. You'll never see anything. And, and it's a piece of art. So this year, I think we're going to, for going into February to our show's, we're either going to build a shuffleboard table or a uh, pool table, one of those two. So something very over the top. You must love talking to the people at the shows. Love it. You come across as somebody who would just love to sit there and tell stories. I love to share the history and, and my passion for what I do. Yes, very much. It makes all the difference in the world. Do you have any mentors, anybody that growing up you look, look to that you would get inspiration from? 
You know, my dad was an amazing metal worker. He he was in the HVAC trade, did a lot of metal work in our, you know, garage at home. You know, I think, you know, around here, the other artist, uh, my buddy Mark is great. There's some, you know, I've heard multiple forging companies here and they all inspire you because our passion for a trade that is no longer really that popular and is dying off to a degree. You know, the talent there isn't, hasn't passed down in generations as much. So the people that are still in it are what I would say are my mentors and different things like that. We have a, a shop here, a do-it-yourself cave, and the the guy that teaches forging there was on the movie Forged in Fire. To go be able to work with him is is pretty amazing. I'll I'll pay for his class just to learn a different style or whatever. So I think we're always educating ourselves or there's always room for, you know, advancement and everything that we do. So, you know, I went down to the coast and and worked with a glass blower, which I'm not going, you know, that direction or building anything. But it sure is neat to see people's passion for artistry. So any artist that has that I, I think so. My mentor, anyway, because I I love their passion for it and what they do. So you just brought up something that is a struggle in the industry, and that is for every five people that retire craftsmen, there's only two that replace them. What do, what do we do to change that tide? Because it's not like we need any fewer of them. We need more of them, and that's one of the reasons I do the podcast is. I want the younger generation to understand getting into the trades is a great career and it's a lifelong career. So currently I have a great student from uh, Redmond High School that works for me during the summer and he's a 4.0 student. He was on their state championship wrestling team this last year. You know, so he's 17 years old. I've worked with his dad, a great guy, and uh, he works in our shop. And he's learned everything. He's learned how, you know, he came here because he wanted to learn how to weld. We taught him how to weld. We've taught him a little bit of forging. So every year he comes back every summer. And so we try to do like a mentorship program with this younger generation and teach them every aspect of it. And I think, you know, from what we really were taught him was, first of all, don't be late for work. You, you know, you're late if you're 10 minutes, if you're 10 minutes early, you're sort of sort of late, you know, you got to get ready. So just how the trades work from back in the day. And, you know, not every day you're going to, you're going to weld some days and then some days you're going to grind, you're going to sand, you're going to do all that. So you got to teach them there's the good aspect and the bad. Right now, what the trades have done is they've separated that out and it's really sort of lowered their wages is when I went through, Ted, I had to do it all. You know, I served a five-year apprenticeship. Now, these guys are serving two-year apprenticeship, but they only learn how to weld. And I and I teach him, you want to be a fabricator, you don't want to be a welder, you know, because if you're a welder, all you're going to do is weld. That's it. Fabricator, you got to use your brain. You got to take that 4.0 education and create something out of a flat piece of metal, you know, or a little bit of steel stock. So I think that's all we can do is mentor younger generation and give them the opportunity to come into the trades and different things, you know, and I think it's changing. I, I hope so anyway. So when you get people, the younger generation coming on board, 
How long does it take them to really understand they've got to put in the effort and they've got to put in the, the work and that they're not going to start out as a master craftsman? It's something that's learned. You let them fail. You, even though it costs me money. They're not good at that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, they're not good at that right now. You know, the the thing is, is, is they come and they, I know how to weld. I know how to do this. I know, okay, well, fine. Okay, do it. And then when they fail, you got to show them how to do it successfully. They have to have failure and they have to have success. So I let them fail then first. And then I'm like, okay, well, we just wasted $100 worth of steel. Now let's do it. Let's do it my way. And you show them and you work with them and you show them the proper way. You know, it's just like, you know, whether you're building legs or a piece, you have to measure crossways to, to make sure the piece is square. You know, it's again, it's not just the act of welding, you know, and you got to let them create their own stuff. You got to let them build a project for their house or for their mom or whatever and, and guide them and help them and come in on a Saturday and spend the time and put the effort in, you know, and, sh you know, show them, you know, respect. I mean, he's, you know, 30 years younger than I am, but, you know, maybe more. But anyway, uh you got to show them respect and te teach them like they're, you know, an equal to you as far as that goes. But teach them. I think that sometimes us older guys, we get to looking down on them or talking down to them or different things and not being a, a father figure, but more of a mentor. You know, this is how we put this together and so forth and so on. I think that's the way we, we move into the future. But if you really look at the furniture industry in general there's a lot of furniture out there that's not worth what you pay for it you know and so yeah you know we build stuff to last you know i i hope some of this stuff lasts 150 years passed down generation to generation you know i really do and i that's the way we build it with that that intention how difficult is it or how do you get people I'm just thinking of these young kids, when they're doing a project for themselves, they've got a tremendous amount of passion in it because they're going to see it in their home or their parents' home or their grandparents' home, whoever it is. And yet when they're doing a piece for the company, there's not that personal connection. But at some point, the switch turns where it's all the same, right? Yeah. yeah. Like when you're, when you're doing a piece for, if you were doing a piece for me, you'd have the same passion the, the dining room table you built for yourself because you've gotten to that level of professionalism. That's a guess, but that's kind of my feeling. Sure. The, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I think that when people come in my showroom, they look at the finished product and they don't realize how much grinding, how much sanding, how much cleaning steel and all of that. You know, when, when we forge a piece, we start with perfect steel. We forge it, we clean it, then we weld it, and then we reclean it, and, and then it gets a patina on it, and then a lacquer, and then it finally gets in here. You know, I think that in any business, Ted, humility is the key to it. So when when we get a piece done, you tell these kids, look what you built. Look look at this amazing piece that you you were a part of. You know, I mean, so many times we want the credit because I'm the artist, you know, but when you have these kids build it, you're like, look at the piece of art you built, you know, give them the credit 
for it, that's how you create passion in these kids. You know, when they build something so amazing, so cool, even though I guided them or I, you know, I worked on it and did aspects of it, you have to have the humility to give these younger generation the credit for it and say, you you were a part of this, you know. So that's what we do, and it works really good in our shop. Do you travel much? Yeah, I like to, yeah. You haven't traveled enough lately? I, not lately, but I, I haven't gone down to the south to uh, see the tobacco barns and some of the stuff that, you know, where we've gotten some of this wood, and that's really where... I would like to go next is see some of these historical buildings that I buy standing. I think that would be just phenomenal. Well, I just think that I, I wanted to ask about your travels and what you see when you, I mean, because we all look through different paradigms. And so if you're looking at work, you're going to view it through the lens of what you create and figure out, hey, that's a cool way of, of creating that piece of furniture because everything's so personal. Yeah, it's really neat. Like, you know, you go through parts of Montana or, you know, Santa Fe or any of these. And there's there's such different realms of, of artism in different areas. And you really learn to appreciate that. And so we'll, you know, yes, I, I gather all of that information and create it into my pieces moving forward, you know. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people say, you know, I can find something I go, I got to have it. You know, I have to have that and I'm going to build a bed out of that. And they're like, you're going to build a bed out of that? You, What are you, nuts? I don't see it. And then, you know, before you know it, that bed sells for $10,000 because – so I just view things differently than most people would. I can see through the the rough of a barn and see how beautiful the wood is or, or combine that with steel and, you know, it's a – a talent or an obsession, whatever you want to call it. Cause wherever we go, my wife is like, you're, you're looking through a different lens than everybody else. You know? Yeah. That's what I, that's what we do. Yeah. We've got, we've got a client in, um, in Bozeman, Mike Salverson with uh, Montana reclaimed lumber. I don't know if you know him. Great guy, great business, really interesting. The stories are great. Love, love hearing about them. And the, the pieces he buys are, I mean, the barns, and you buy the same stuff. It's just impressive. Yeah. I The the passion for me starts with the history. You know, it really starts with the history of the barn and, and, you know, cool story. You know, that's where it all starts. And then being able to take, sometimes that wood will sit here a little while or a piece will a little while until I can really figure out where it fits of how I'm going to build it. And sometimes you got to build the tabletop to really figure out the really cool legs, you know, sitting in here. I have to look at it for a week or two sometimes and, and say, okay, now I know what I'm going to do, do to that piece, you know. But, yeah, the history is where it starts first. How difficult was it or what inspired you after 40 years, which is a great career in the HVAC business, at your age to start another business? <laughs> that is a good question. Did your wife look at you and go, honey, can we not just slow down? My wife, my brother, my, yes, yes. You know, I got an insane drive. You know, I'll work seven days a week if I have to. I've always been a project guy. I've always, you know, loved doing projects. I started out, you know, on my own house. 
I think that, so I did my house five years ago and then I took a break for a couple of years until, like I said, until COVID, you know, hit. And I, I took a break from building clients pieces because I had to refine myself. I had to refine the way I thought and about pieces and, and different things and, and then really come back to it. And I will tell you my ability to take it to another level. I really needed to do that for a couple of years. I was putting out pieces that people wanted, but, and I was passionate about it, but I had to change where my drive was and, and what direction I went with these pieces. I had to refine it a lot in those two years. Why? If, if you're already doing something that you had passion for, and I talk to people about this all the time, I'm a firm believer that you survive and thrive by being creative. And this is, there is no finish line. There is no retirement. You, you do something with passion until you no longer are breathing. And every five to seven years, you got to reinvent yourself or else you become stale. True. True. I think for me, it was, it was a quality thing for me. I had to put out bigger, I, I had to put out better pieces. And the, Long story short, I, I built this beautiful house and somewhere along the way, I won't get into the story too much, but somebody got reckless and my house caught on fire and burnt down. And so I had to rebuild my house and I had to re-put everything beautiful that I'd put in there back in there. So we had to do it in such a time frame that I really sort of got burned out. And so I took that couple of years and said, okay, I'm not going to do a project because I never figured I'd have to put my house back together, you know? And so I, I took that couple of years and I really had to, had to figure out what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to take art and put it into pieces and that's what I was able to do. So I had to take it to a whole nother level. I wanted to, you know, Ted, I want to be the best historic furniture builder that I can be, you know, so, and that's what we're, that's what we're doing now. You know, we're taking the stuff and we're putting out pieces that blows people away. And that's what I want to do. So what do you see in the next five years? Do you see hiring more people, expanding your business or just refining it uh, in Oregon? Well, I think that, you know, going to Las Vegas will, cause us, you know, we want to share our pieces for as far as we can. I don't know if we'll we'll grow the business or or keep it where where we're at. We may add a few more people. What we really want to do is just, you know, that next the next best piece. That's what we focus on every day. I haven't I built a lot of signature pieces that have me, you know, and I'm I'm looking for that I'm always looking for the next one that just like my mirrors. You know, I, I think since I started, we've produced over 200 mirrors. And to think that a mirror hangs on a wall and that, you know, it's our hottest selling item. They're so unique, so different. You know, they, they blow people away. I'm looking for that next piece that blows people away, you know, always. You know, that, that's what I love about modern mountain pieces is, my creativity can go a million miles, you know, in, in any direction on those. And we have a 72-inch round table in here with twisted metal legs. And 
everybody that comes in is like, wow, that is unique. You know, that is just super nice. And that's what I want always, you know. So, yeah, I would say we definitely we definitely want to spread to different parts of the nation. We have a long ways to go. Like you said, the finish line is never there. We just keep going. No, I always I always I always just I'm amazed with people that all they want to do is get to a point where they retire and it's like just keep your brain going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll work forever. I just this I guess to me is retirement after 40 years of of doing HVAC, you know, heating and air conditioning. I just went and did what I figured out. I did a great you know, job, career, and it supported my family. Amazing. Now I'm going to do that, do what I want to do the next, you know, until, until I die probably, you know? So, but yeah, we just love it. We love what we do. And our whole family works here. You know, they come in on Saturday and work on a Saturday, our kids and everything, because they just love being a part of it. So what's, as, as we wrap this up and thanks for your time, this has been enjoyable and i love your stories i love your stories thank you i especially like the one well i mean i learned so much from the railroad inside of the the railroad cars to you need to go down to the uh, tobacco plantations i think that would be your next really cool adventure the pilings in astoria didn't even know didn't even think about that and obviously the one of the uh 19 or 1865 barn where the guy came back from the Civil War. That's pretty cool as well. But what piece of advice do you give the younger generation? Get in the trades. Learn a trade. You know, the the pay is phenomenal. The stuff, learn from us old timers, you know, heating, air conditioning, the forging, all of this. You know, it's, it's a great career to have. It really, really is. And the pay's gone up. I mean, the pay's gone you know, I mean, some of these guys are making 150000 a year doing it. So, I mean, uh, it's 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 great. And we need all the we need all the help. You know, we need the help in the trades and all that. It's a great career. So, yeah. You know, I will say one other thing, Ted. You know, what drives me is, you know, anything you see in the showroom is my vision. You know, it's my vision, my passion. But the most challenging part and what really drives me is is when somebody like you or a client come to me and they have a vision for a piece. And I can say to date, every piece I've built for people, I've exceeded their expectations. But making the other person's vision come to life is what that that's the challenge that I I drive to every day is not about my passion or my vision. But when you take somebody else's vision and so many times we have people go back east and they'll take uh, wood, barn wood from their plantation, their family's plantation or family home, and they'll bring it to me in an heirloom. And they're like, hey, can you build this out of this? And, you know, yeah, of course, you know, and we do it. But you can't mess up when you're talking about irreplaceable wood that means something to their family right. stuff. So. So that's what really is the challenge for me is um, that drives me every day is taking somebody else's vision and making that come to life for them is what it, that's just unbelievable to me. So that's what drives me. Well, Paul, I appreciate I appreciate you taking an hour. It's been more than interesting. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing your next creation. 
And until next time, I'm Ted Bainbridge. Thanks, Paul Shepard of Forged Elegance. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine Podcasts.